pines in the pines where the sun never shines you'll shiver when the cold wind blows there's a grave in the pines where the sun never shines there's a grave that's shaded with the pines on the slay queens podcast we take a deep dive into the dark side of the rainbow This isn't just a cheesy catchphrase. It is a note to remember that the topics we discuss can be very graphic and lurid in nature. Listener discretion has been advised. Hey folks, before we get started, I just wanted to pop on and let everybody know that this episode is edited by your podcast editor. Yes, and we love our editor and you can start your own podcast and receive two edited episodes totally free. You can find him on Instagram at yourpodcastedit.com. And save time and take your podcast to the next level. Ooh, Slay Queen. Hi there, folks. Well, hey there, folks. <laughs> I was I, wondering if I, you'd catch I, on. I, I knew that's what you were doing. <laughs> uh, I can't say it without thinking that. That's uh, okay. Hey Hello, there, everybody. folks. <laughs> <laughs> this is the Slay Queen's podcast. We are, in fact, the Slay Queen's podcast. Hello, hello. Welcome, Ashley. Please remind us what it is that we do here at the Slay Queen's podcast. Well, first, I'm Ashley, and that's Wayne. Right there, that's Ashley. Yes, this is me, I'm Wayne. (laughs) But also, we take a deep dive into the dark side of the rainbow. That is correct. We do all of those things, and we are those people. We are those people, we do those things. Absolutely. Ashley, how are you? I drank a bang energy this morning. Okay. Which is the devil. (laughs) <laughs> okay, yeah, I I haven't had one since maybe like when they first came out and it was fine, but I took about 6 sips before I was like working on this and I could not sit still. I felt like I wanted to claw out of my own skin and I was like I have to go to the gym. Like I can't sit here anymore. That was horrible. Don't drink that stuff, y'all. No. That's actually one of the biggest reasons I stopped doing any form of pre-workout because it gives me that I want to claw oh, my own skin anxiety off sort of city. Feeling. Like even driving yeah. there, I was anxious. I was like, I just need to do something. Yeah, yeah, I get that. I so totally how are you that. though? I'm doing really well, all things considered. I worked over the weekend. You were busy. I was really busy. Saw a lot of really sad, tragic things, but that's just the business that I'm in. Mm -hmm. And I really didn't think I would have good energy for recording this episode today, but I went home. I got a great nap in. I got some Starbucks on hand. I love a good nap. I listened to Call Me By Your Name uh, on the way here. And now that's stuck in my head. Call Me By Your Name. (laughs) Yeah, been doing that. So I'm feeling pretty good. I think this is going to be a great day. And I think it's going to be a great episode. Yes. So shall we, before we get into this great day and this great episode, shall we do a great rainbow star? A great one. I think we should. We shall. And I think... Oh, yeah, I guess I'm starting. Yeah, I think you're kicking us off. Non-per-use. 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 Yeah, because I just feel like, what better to... I mean, it's a little bit late, but that's okay. We're still going to talk about it. We're We're going to spotlight that some justice was served. Derek Chauvin, 30 years, if you do the math. Mm -hmm. But in any case, three charges, all three convicted. Guilty, guilty, guilty. And... Yay! 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 For justice being served. Yes, one hundred percent. Yay for justice being served, and I think we all feel some sort of personal attachment to that case Mm -hmm. because it really was kind of the start of a movement, like a real movement. Not that these horrific things hadn't been happening for just generations, really, Mm -hmm. but 
it was his daughter, right? That Mm -hmm. said, daddy changed the world. Yes. And daddy really did change the world because I think even those who didn't understand the Black Lives Matter movement prior to that Mm -hmm. began to understand. Absolutely. And that affected some change. And it's so sad that that sort of thing had to happen to affect change, but at least some good came of it. And thank whatever deity you pray to, <laughs> that there will be justice for Absolutely. that life lost. So, I could not have said it better myself, as I like to say. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to brag or anything, but I've had a nap in a Starbucks. Yes, so. you've got away with words. That's okay. <laughs> okay, so where are we at now? We're doing thank yous. Thank yous. Are we in thank you territory? Which is your territory. I'd like to hang out there, yeah. So that, <laughs> He that likes to sense. give thanks. Yeah, I like to give thanks. So thank you, thank you, thank you to our local Cincinnati friends yeah. and fellow podcasters. Over at the Core Extra Podcast, they did give us a little shout out and a spotlight on their most recent episode. They were discussing the Marcella Whaley episode that we had done. And they were like, this is a bonkers case. And they're heterosexual men. Mm -hmm. And if they believe something's bonkers, I mean, it has to be. It absolutely has to be. That is the (laughs) truth. So thank you guys for shouting us out and showing us some love and recommending us. We sincerely appreciate that so much. Yes, thank you. All right. I hear a little birdie has told me that you have a very special acknowledgement slash announcement slash question of some kind. Well, I guess we're going to present this in the way of I want to acknowledge if this question is a thing or not, because I feel like it's a thing. Sierra and I had this conversation the other day, and it's actually a little bit funny because she asked me we were getting ready to go to the gym and she asked me if I put on. Both socks and then mm-hmm. both shoes, or if I do sock, shoe, sock, shoe. I knew that was going to be hard to say, so I had to focus. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so I wasn't looking at her, but I was like, what? What are you kidding me? I was like, only serial killers do sock, shoe, sock, shoe. And I turn around and I look at her and she's got one sock and one shoe <laughs> one sock in hand. And I'm like, I mean, it's just a theory. <laughs> I mean, I only have one thing to say about that. Yeah. Only serial killers do one sock, one shoe. Thank you. <laughs> I want to know if anyone has an opinion about that. I just feel like that's, it just is very serial killery to me. Yeah, I can't. It's weird, right? I would, something about it would feel wrong to me. That's what I, would, I think. I would feel unbalanced. That's what I think. I've yeah. got the whole thing on one. No, you got to even it Mm-mm. out the whole way that you yeah. go. I'm no, with I would you. feel completely unbalanced. Stay evened out. So anyway, that yeah. was the question. Yes, please let us know, listeners. I'm glad you agree. How you feel about that, because I have strong feelings. Yeah, and I didn't get his answer ahead of time either. No. I wanted to wait. No, we did not discuss this prior no. to. I just knew there was uh, kind of an unusual question, route that we yeah. were going to take, but <laughs> yeah. I didn't know what it was going to be. Yeah. And now I feel a little bit dirty. <laughs> Talking about socks and shoes. Talking about socks and shoes and being all off balance. It's not Ed Kemper-like, though. Come on. (laughs) All right. And now on to the recommendations. The recommendations, which I believe you have. I do have a recommendation. Back and forth here. I like this. I do have a recommendation. And I'm curious to see how you potentially feel about this thing because it's relevant to you. Okay. And like work that you do, et cetera, I knew it was going to be something about that. yeah. So the, and I know you don't do Netflix anymore, but you have done it previously and maybe you have access to the show via other means. The show Glow Up. That like makeup competition show. They're makeup artists, like amateur makeup artists who are competing to get like a 
a contracted job with like a big name makeup artist. Wow, I didn't even know like that's what it was. Big projects and big shows and things like that. So no idea. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if season two was new or if it just popped up newly in suggestions for me. Sure, sure. Because I've heard that season three is about to come out, which would lead me to believe that season two is actually not new. Right. So that's why I preface with that. But I started with season two because I believed that it was new. Really, really, really enjoyed yeah. it. Just like fun, creative, good energy. Obviously, like these are makeup artists, so lots of queer representation. Of course, I love that. Yeah, and I just really, really enjoyed it. Lots of fun guest judges and guest hosts. Like I'm now on season one. Huh. Kim Chi from RuPaul's Drag Race was a yes. guest host or a guest judge on, awesome. on one episode. Yeah, super fun. I huh. really, really, really enjoyed it. And one of the hosts, you know how the hosts of all these like reality competitions have little catchphrases and things that they say. And oftentimes they will also have like a, for example, RuPaul's Drag Race, like a Shantae, you stay. Of course. Situation. So the lady, her name is Val, who is one of the head judges. Whenever she's really impressed with something, Mm -hmm. she says, sing song and like (laughs) claps her hands. I love that. And now I'm walking around in my day-to-day life, like in everything going, sing song. Yeah. And now when I see it, I'm going to think of you doing it forever. It's so fun. (laughs) That sounds adorable. If you have interest in that sort of thing, which I know you do, but if the folks have interest in that sort of thing, I actually think it's a cute little show. Sure. It kind of makes me think of like a makeup artist version of like Project Runway or something. I used to love that show. Absolutely. Too. I mean, it's it's similar to like that thing that they did with like the special effects makeup that show. What was it called? Face Off. Face Off. Something yeah. of that nature. I love it's, that show, too. It's similar to that, but with a little less of the special effects makeup. They do have challenges sure. where they do special effects and prosthetics, but. But it's probably yeah. more like commercial and like yeah. ads and things like that. Like yeah. simple makeup, which I like. Right? You can appreciate. Not easy to do. No, not at all easy to do. We've had conversations That's about fair. how I'm obsessed <laughs> with your eye makeup and I have no clue. The lack of skills there how, are. <laughs> yeah, but uh, really good show. And like I said, a lot of really just like cool, fun, queer okay. representation. So yeah, We're gonna have check to it check out. that out. Check it out. I've definitely seen like that thumbnail before and I'm sure it's been recommended. And that's, I didn't even realize that that was like a reality show at all. I just always skimmed right by it. Well, I had heard people like make reference to this ding song. Sure, sure. Like Alaska, okay. Alaska Thunderfuck on <laughs> yeah. uh, Race Chaser podcast. She does it all the time. And I didn't understand Where it was like, coming from. the reference until now. I love when things come full circle. Yeah, full circle moments. Uh-huh. Speaking of full circle. Yes. Are Ooh, we are we segueing here? Are we coming to a close in this intro? The beginning the part. Beginning so that we can come back in and tell a story. Yeah. A story that we've told before. We have told before a frustrating tale. But an interesting one, nonetheless. Very a very interesting. interesting. There's some uh, unique details to this one, which yeah. I think is what makes it so intriguing. I have to agree to with both that. of us. We've Completely. we've both really always found this story to be pretty intriguing. Pretty intriguing. <laughs> For lack of repeating myself a couple times. Pretty interesting. Yeah, but we like it, so we do. I'm so. excited to tell it because last time. It was a different format yeah. when we first started, and it was just you basically telling me these stories. So I get to be the uh, the one. The, the recap queen. The recap queen. And I don't really have any... It's an older story, so sure. it'll all make sense later. But I don't really have a ton of updates, but I have some information that wasn't covered in the episode. There's that we're definitely about some today. information that yeah. was not covered. And 
something too, I feel even in doing research now, don't you feel like even if it's something we've done before, it's almost like you, you know how to research better now. So it's like you find more, you put it together better. So I just feel like all in all, it's a good remix episode. Recap, redo, (laughs) revamp. All of those things. Review. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We'll be back. We'll be back. (laughs) All right. Okay, we are back, 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 back again. We are back again. We're back again to do this story again. Again, again, again. (laughs) We should probably tell the folks what it is exactly. That's right. Because we've been discussing details, but not like specifics. So since this was just a case that we decided to choose, it was like a person, not necessarily like an episode or something. Yeah. That we decided to watch. We actually ended up watching a documentary on YouTube. YouTube. Did you watch it on YouTube? Yeah, it's from the dailymotion.com. And the name is The Secret Life of a Serial Killer, Herb Baumeister. Herbert Baumeister. Herbert. If that name sounds familiar to the folks, it's because it's literally the very first case that is available is in it? the Slay Queen. I thought it might be Slay too. Stream. Okay. Yeah. Because yeah. we, we archived a couple of episodes because they were just. Too long (laughs) and too terrible and drawn um, out, drawn out. And we decided that this one was also maybe a little bit terrible. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) we could redo it probably. And one thing I wanted to say, too, is I know we so we were calling him the Save-A-Lot killer. And in hindsight, like going back, thinking about it and, and knowing the case so well, I don't really want to give him that title. Okay, It seems like. We're giving his his businessman side more clout than we should. Okay. I just want to call him Herb. Herb. <laughs> I get that. Yeah. All right, folks. So I think our plan moving forward is going to be two things. We're going to drop this in your feed as a brand new episode. But since it is kind of Herb 2.0, True. Uh, we're going to take this audio. We're going to go back to the beginning. To the very beginning. <laughs> it's a sound of music reference. Did you clock it? I did. We're going back to the very beginning and we're going to replace that audio and just put a note in the episode notes that uh, it was updated yes. and released on so and such date. This is 2.0. This is 2.0. This mm-hmm. is Herb revamp, redo, recap, remix, remix, review. Reduce, reuse, recycle. Exactly. All of <laughs> those things. Fuck? All right, Ashley. All right. <laughs> Let's do it. So, yeah, like I said, this is The Secret Life of a Serial Killer, her Baumeister. Really just look that up on YouTube, but it's from the dailymotion.com. So, at the beginning, at the very top of the episode, there's just typical lots and lots of spoilers, lots of quotes, all these things, images flashing, which we'll kind of skip over because we don't want to jump to the end real quick. But one thing that we do see is a faceless man who said, quote, I went to the authorities. I told them there was a man up in Hamilton County strangling people. So to begin the show, now we are greeted by the host whose name is Bill Curtis. And he gives us that good daytime drama. Oh, he yeah. really does. He's good at that. I he like that. I like does. the drama. Yeah. I like the... uh it's a little bit of like Robert Stack from Unsolved Mysteries yeah. energy. It's a little bit of that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So the quote goes something like this. She knew him well. They'd been together just about forever. So when the question started nagging at her, she was confused. A question that all married people all ask themselves at one point in time or another. How well do you really know your spouse? 
The first time police knocked on her door, Julie Baumeister's answer was confident. She knew her husband Herb better than anyone else did. Then she discovered something strange in the woods around their lavish suburban home. So this is where he drops the name Herb Baumeister and him being the biggest serial killer in Indiana's history, which I wonder if that's still true. I don't know. I think, honestly, Probably. I missed that little fact. So yeah. I Now that I I'm thinking about it, it, I'm like, that is a little fact that I kind of skimmed over. So in any case, we are heading to Fox Hollow Farm in Indiana, where the husband and wife lived, Herb and Julie. We hear and see news titles about bones being found. The discovery of the bones was an answer to a mystery that had begun three years ago in downtown Indianapolis, where multiple missing persons cases were still open. And they kind of give us a rundown, so I'll go through all these. May 28th, 1993, John Bayer, 18 years old, last seen on his way to work at McDonald's. July 1993, Jeff Jones, 30, last seen coming out of a Salvation Army rehab center. July 31st, 1993, Richard Hamilton, 20, last seen leaving his apartment at 2 a.m. to get cigarettes. And this one was a cautionary tale to myself, my younger years, because that was like totally something I would do living in Northside as like a young going out all the time. I'm like, it's just 2 a.m. People are still out. Like I can go get some cigarettes. Also, stop smoking cigarettes a little, Ashley. Anyways, (laughs) (laughs) onward. August 7th, 1993, Alan Livingston, 28, last seen getting into a white vehicle. That same night, Manuel, who... Last name I did not write down right here, but I do have it later. I apologize. Went to a nightclub with some friends. Uh, When it came time to leave, their friends couldn't find him. So two in one night basically went missing. Oh, wow. June 6th, 1994, Alan Broussard, 28, last seen leaving a gay bar that he frequented. And then it all kind of shifted into high gear, as they say, when another man, Roger Allen Goodlett, 33, disappeared on July 22nd, 1994. And this is when we meet his mother, and it is absolutely gut-wrenching. Heartbreaking. So hard to watch. This poor woman. I couldn't really look at the screen when this was happening. It was really hard to even listen to, but I mean, yeah, absolutely heartbreaking. She was the last to see him. She talks about, you know, how they spent their day together. She had just gotten a kitten, and you just, like, know that he's, like, the kindest, softest, sweetest gentleman you've ever heard of. And that he was the absolute love of her life. 100%. That was her world. That was her world, exactly. Mm -hmm. So she went to police, actually, the next day and demanded action. But by law, the department wouldn't launch a full investigation. And here's where I was like, oh, for 48 hours or 24 hours, but no, for 30 days. 30 fucking days. And there's a a woman we'll talk about later, Detective Wilson. Yeah, she says something along the lines at this point about how you're an American citizen. If a grown man wants to go away and disappear, he has that right. And I'm like, how about 30 damn days? Like that's, I hope it's different now, okay? (laughs) It is different now. I looked into it a little bit and I am not a man who practices law or writes law (laughs) by any stretch of the imagination. No, it's hard to understand sometimes. I had some difficulty following it, but best I understand, that was in fact a law at the time because my initial like knee-jerk reaction was, that's bullshit, they're doing it because he's a gay guy. No. I was thinking that too. actually was a, a thing at the time that if these people were deemed to not be, I guess, in some sort of like eminent danger. Sure. Because they weren't in touch with like the people in their lives and their family members and whatnot. So if it had been a child, then they wouldn't have had to wait that 30 days. 
But since he was an adult and he was neurotypical and he didn't have any special needs and he was able to care for himself and make like good informed decisions for himself, they felt as though it was appropriate to wait that 30 days. Sort of like you want, don't want to invade their privacy, right? Exactly. And from what I understand, they have uh, broader descriptions of people who would fall into that. They're potentially in some sort of like eminent danger category mm-hmm. now. But like I said, I am not a law guy. <laughs> so it read very confusing to me. Sure. But I do think they have better laws regarding this sort of thing now. And mm. that's the whole point of my rambling. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's cases like these and there's reasons why things change, you know? Yeah. So in any case, she didn't like that answer. So she hired a private investigator, which I say, good for you, girl. Good for you, mama. 100% protect your babies. Someone says that they saw her son hitchhiking home and saw him get into the car. And that was that, like saw the car that. So I guess that technically would have been the last person to see him alive. Okay. So this is where we learned that Indianapolis is apparently a hub for gay bars. I kind of sort of did. I knew that it had, or at least now, not not in the 90s. I would have have no concept (laughs) of what was going on there in the 90s, really. But now I know that they've got a pretty like legit gay scene. I mean, it makes for sense. It is a big city for India. That's the only city I like to go to in Indiana, as yeah. far as I know, anyway. So in any case, in the summer of 94, by this point, seven gay men had gone missing from this area. The gay community takes action. They start writing articles, doing research, because obviously the mainstream media is doing what? Nothing. Not a damn thing. Not a damn thing. So July 1994, Stephen Hale, 26 years old, vanished from outside the library, also known as a gay cruising spot. So that makes eight gay men that are just missing. Detective Wilson, the woman that I mentioned before, we've heard from her a few times thus far, but she was convinced that the missing person's case must be related. And thank goodness for her, because it seemingly came off like she was the only one. Yeah. I mean, or maybe the only one who gave a damn. Maybe other people were like, yeah, they could be related, but like, who cares? Yeah. I agree you know? with that. I agree with that. So she actually contacts the FBI behavioral department to work up a profile to figure out who, what type of person may be committing these acts or disappearing these people, basically yeah. <laughs> abducting them. So in August of 1994, the police would get their first break from a man named Mark Goodyear, a friend of Roger Allen Goodlett. Remember him? Yeah, I should have said put a pin in that. Put a pin in that. <laughs> but the one where I said, you know, this was a major turning point. And Mark Goodyear is the man that is faceless to us, basically. Okay. So, yeah, this says this is the faceless man I mentioned before. We see him now again, and he says Roger was missing. They were looking for any kind of odd dealings in Indianapolis, and I told them that I knew an odd person. He said that he told the police of an encounter that he had with a man at a downtown bar. That's in downtown Indianapolis. He noticed that the man was there. He had been there before and that he was always alone. And he just like he said that he like just didn't seem comfortable. Basically, Mm -hmm. he always seemed out of place, but he was there a lot. So he says that when he approached the man, that he was reading about the missing men in the paper and that he was concerned. But Mark didn't buy it. He's like, he says he's concerned, but he looked and felt Way different than concerned. Insincere. Yeah. I think uh, the word he used. Probably exactly the word he used. And and that's when he said, that's when he was like, I just felt like he had something to do with it. Like spidey senses. He said, it piqued my interest. (laughs) 
This like, is my kind of guy, yeah. right? I'm like, okay. All I like right. this guy. He's, he's one of the OG Slay Queens, maybe. For sure. Yeah. He's definitely, he's like a web sleuth at this point. So we now learn what sexual asphyxia is, just like randomly. They're telling us what that is, but it does come in later. I just felt like it was a really odd point in the episode to just like bring it up. Like, I mean, I got it because of the whole like interaction that this particular person had with her. So that was relevant. I almost felt like it was just a little bit of TMI. I'm like, why are they we... They went a little too far. Yeah, I'm like, I feel like these are a few too many specific And details. I feel like some of the officers talking about it, maybe the kind of guys that are like, you know, don't knock it before you try it. So <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. But mm-hmm. like, they're a little too ready to talk about it. Anyways, <laughs> so now we're jumping back to Fox Hollow Farm, which is where Julie and Herb live. We hear Julie Baumeister talking about their beautiful home, the surrounding land. She says that she met Herb in college and that he was a lot of fun to be with. She also says, what does she say exactly? It was, I found that I I enjoyed myself or I liked myself better when I was around him. Yeah. Which seemed a little bit more like worship than love. And they even talk about how they how they didn't like party. They didn't go on dates. They didn't do all the like the typical couple things. They were more like a family love. Yeah. And she spoke of their like courtship when they were in college. She was like, we met during the hippie era where people Mm -hmm. were just out. We just didn't do that. Getting all high and and whatnot. (laughs) And we just drove around and got sodas. It was very much like that. (laughs) Maybe some tacos with a corn tortilla. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love a corn tortilla. But but you're right. Then she spoke about like their married life. And she was like, oh, we didn't get caught up in all the romance. No, we had kids. We didn't bother with any of that. (laughs) We just took our children to the packs. um, (laughs) There's so many accents on that. I really just like was like three different personalities. Just you are now. every different kind of American mm-hmm. <laughs> there yeah. can be. You're all welcome. You're I loved welcome. it. Oh, I'm so here for it. So also, too, she says that she wishes she could go back. Like she says that like college time and like that time was the best time of her life. And I'm like, well, yeah, I guess so. Considering I mean, I, where you ended up. Considering what happens from here on out. So they get married in 1971 and Herb was in anatomy and he wanted to be a doctor like his dad but they say he has an above average iq however he does not finish college and you know it's funny that that's all they referred to it as in this particular program was that he didn't finish college so they made it seem like he went for like years or semesters and was really working towards like some pre-med and like trying to get into medical school other places would report that Herb, in fact, only completed one semester of college. <laughs> I, I forgot about that. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. There was not a whole lot of trying going nope. on. Nope. So in any case, Julie ad- basically admits that they had no juge, which is kind of what we talked about. They've got mm-hmm. the perfect home, the perfect lives, everything, but there's no... Uh, there's no uh, spark. Going there's no on. spark. <laughs> there's no spark. <laughs> So now we jump back to the night in August of 1994. Mark Goodyear has met this man reading the newspaper, which we now know that the man is Herb, obviously, at a nightclub. And he's just saying, like, he's Skep. He's like, he's one thing. But he's like talking about how awkward and weird this man is. But then he continues on and says, one thing led to another. And within 15 minutes, I'm in his car going to what I've been told is his employer's home in Hamilton County. 
So I'm like, okay, you're creeped out with this guy. Girl. But like one thing leads to another and you're going 30 minutes north with him. Girl. In his car. Yeah. He's like, you were creepy. You were sus. You were <laughs> insincere. Yeah. Sure. I'll hit that. Yeah. I'll I mean, go with like... <laughs> you. All I can think is like maybe morbid curiosity took over and he's like, if this is really him, like I can get a close encounter and, and have something to report about because he eventually does. Right. But like, no, girl, honey. don't be going all rogue like that. No, honey, this is gay culture. <laughs> It's like, no, you I dis- can change him. You Exactly. You disgust me. I'm afraid of you. For some reason, turned on. Yes, and come I here, daddy. I think I can make this work. <laughs> oh, you're not wrong. Oh, you're not wrong. I've definitely been there. Okay. <laughs> so he says the house was dusty, and which I just think is funny because I wouldn't expect it to be. Like, you would expect everything to be so pristine the way they talk about these people. Yeah. The other thing that's very odd and interesting, I suppose, is that he has mannequins all over the place. Mannequins. Mannequins, like posed, not really wearing much from what we do see picture wise, but like posed in weird positions, like just all over the place, particularly that indoor pool that they talk about, yeah. like all around there. And when Mark asks, like, what's the deal? He's like, Ew. oh, the owner who's supposed to be Herb's boss, he's mm-hmm. saying, you know, quote unquote, oh, he just doesn't, he doesn't like to be alone. They make him feel less lonely. They make him feel less lonely. Like, just have a party, man. Like, invite people over. What's happening? I mean, you have a great space for entertaining, right? (laughs) I mean, in this mansion. Okay, so the question I had here Uh that never gets addressed in any of these programs I've watched or any of the research I've done about this particular case is, I'm like, okay, this man, this visitor. Yeah found these mannequins being all over the place. He found it to be odd and unusual. So what about the rest of Herb's family? Like, didn't they think it was weird? (laughs) She seemed like she just kept quiet about everything, though. Yeah, well, I have a little bit to say about that later, actually. But so I tried to, I don't know, like reason it in my brain. Mm -hmm. And the only thing I could kind of come up with is the fact that by this time, they had those Save-A-Lot stores. Yes. Those Save-A-Lot stores, which oftentimes people report to be like the Save-A-Lot, like food store, grocery store, but it actually wasn't that line of business. Mm-hmm. These were like Save-A-Lot thrift the stores. Thrift store. like oh, maybe that's where they, he gets them there. And maybe, yeah, I'm like, so maybe he's storing, for lack of a better term, these mannequins that would normally be at the thrift stores in his home. And that's why it doesn't seem like an odd thing to the family. That could be his explanation to the kids and stuff. So I was trying to justify it in my mind, but it's not okay. Because to me, too, it's not (laughs) like he's not not like someone like a dad like figure like BTK, say, for instance, who obviously you knew like ruled with an iron fist. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like his kids came to him and said, what are these mannequins? And he said shut the fuck up, get out of here. Like, exactly. mind your business. Like, he didn't seem like that kind of dad. Yeah, he was reported to be a really loving, a good father. A kind guy, yeah. yeah. So I can see maybe that makes sense. Anyway, yeah, it's I'm a very sorry. odd I thing, just, though. I had to try and justify it in my brain. Surely, because you're like, other people live here. Yeah. People exist around you. Yeah, this guy's been here for five seconds and he's already and he's already it's weird. So <laughs> what are the people who live here full-time think? So more on him. He says that while they're in this indoor pool area... That Herb tells him like what he's into. He places a hose around Mark's neck and Mark said, now this wasn't a threat. It was sort of a question of, are you into this? And he also asked Mark to strangle him. So Mark obliges him. (laughs) I'm sorry. I just watched Inglorious Bastards last night. It's just like when he goes, oblige him. (laughs) 
Hey, this guy wants to die. Okay, anyways. <laughs> so he obliges him and he does it. And, and when Herb comes to, he basically just explains like how much of a rush it is and talks about what sexual asphyxia is yet again. And he's like, you know, it's like this super awesome thing. It's basically like a certain kind of ecstasy. So he wanted to reciprocate and Mark allowed him to do so because he just, he says basically he just has like a way with words and a way with his Mm -hmm. hands. And he's just like, you know, he just knows how to make everything seem good and seem awesome. So he says that the man could bring us on uh, some sort of ecstasy is what he calls it. He used that word a lot. He does. He does use that when, especially when talking about this particular situation. Scenario. scenario, Yeah. Yeah. So the man, Herb, tells Mark that his favorite part, though, is seeing the people's eyes bug out of their heads and their lips swell and sometimes crack. So Mark tells him at this point, he's like, all right, like you're hurting people. Like that's Mm -hmm. a little bit much. It's too far. And he says that he's going to be going to the authorities. So Herb laughs at him and says, you know, no one's going to believe a man like you, which I mean, I hate to say he's got a good point. It's, I mean, Especially he's feeling very cocky and confident. Because as far as people are concerned, Herb Baumeister is an upstanding he's the man. member of the community. Yeah. He's a business owner. He's married. He's got kids. He is... He's living the dream. Living the American dream. He's Donald and, Trump. Yeah, but, <laughs> Pardon me. And Pardon me. Sorry. If it became his word against the word of this like known homosexual. Exactly. That's what he's saying. That's he what he's saying. It's my word against yours. Who's going to believe you? Exactly. And he's got a valid point, unfortunately. Unfortunately. So Mark calls the police anyways, and he says what we already heard, which was that clip from the very beginning where he says, I called the authorities and I said, there's a man up in Hamilton County strangling people, which is, I mean, that's exactly what just happened. That is yep. what is happening. He's not saying he's killing people. He's not saying he's, you know, doing this, that, and the other. He's just like, he's he's strangling people. That might be looked into. So the police didn't know this man's name, but they go and investigate. Now, apparently some kids walking on the property, we learn now the property that they live on, Fox Hollow Farm, they come up and ring the doorbell one day and tell Julie that they had found bones on their property. So Julie goes out, sees the bones. She sees a skull. Well, she says a skull and then she like backtracks and is like, or like this round like object. And I'm like, mm-hmm. bitch, it's a skull. Like it's you, a, it was like a round. <laughs> you can't take it back now. Object. You like, can't oh. take it back now. Yeah. <laughs> so she says she th- sees things like this, but her wasn't home. And that when he did get home, she takes him outside to show him like what they found. And he says that they were his dad's medical bones. They had been stored in the garage for a while and after this incident they were gone so she believed him yeah so his father from what i understand had been a cardiologist yes very successful and he is saying well this is a set of bones that dad had when he was in medical school that he used to study Mm -hmm. like the human body right to which i mean jesus whoa watch your step Thank you. That's not believing him. That's just wanting to believe him. Uh, Or are you, I mean, I guess you can be that dense. (laughs) Yeah, I have a little bit to say about that. Uh, Later. We'll get there. A little bit later. There's more to, we'll talk about this a little bit more. Yeah. Down the road. Let's not get ahead of ourselves here. So in any case, this happens. This incident happens. The bones were gone. Then all the bones were gone. The bones in the garage were gone. So she believed him. Right. Okay. So back to Mark. Mark. 
this man, Herb, calling him or I, he says that Herb calls him like from an intraceable cell phone all the time, like randomly <laughs> just like calls him. And what did they say? Well, the thing that I'm laughing at is the detective. Yeah. The the female detective. What was her name? Mary Wilson. Mary, Mary Wilson, Wilson. Yeah. She was like, I mean, he was calling from a cell phone and you can't trace those things. <laughs> I know. And I was like, oh, what? the yes. 90s. I know. I was thinking that because I'm like, I mean, an untraceable cell phone. Like, yeah. I guess that is how it was. My, how things have changed. Isn't that amazing? So he said that like he would t- call and talk about like accidents or things getting out of control in certain situation. And Mark says, like, after some of these phone calls is when he kind of knew that a death had probably occurred on Herb's watch, just based on the calls escalating. So it is now 1995, and gay men are still vanishing. April 1st, Michael Kiern, 46, was reported missing when he didn't show up to work. In August, Jerry Williams Comer, 35, disappeared, and his car was recovered from a shopping mall. He was the 10th man to disappear in three years. That is crazy. It is such a small space. Yeah. A very, it's not a, it's a big city, but it's not a big city. Like it's a big enough city. Well, and let's be really, really honest here. If there were 10 heterosexual, blonde haired, blue eyed females that had all disappeared Mm -hmm. from that space, like, Mothers, sisters, the Susie Q the mayor. next door. <laughs> Everyone yeah. would be coming out. Yeah. People would be losing their minds over yep. this. But because these are gay men, it's in the 90s. This is the Midwest. People are like, meh. Yeah. that's They talk about that a lot, too. It's true. It's the damn truth. So they do now pose the question, could these all be tied to the wealthy businessman, Herb Baumeister? So Mark spots the man that he encountered, which would be Herb, out at the bar and asks a friend to follow him out to his car to get the license plate number. Smart. Very wise. Like, he doesn't follow him himself. He knows that they know each other at this point. Yeah, he would recognize him. He would recognize him. So a friend goes out, writes down the license plate number, and they take this license plate number to the police. And then they find out that the plate is registered to none other than, quote, husband, father, Businessman, suburbanite, Herb Baumeister. Herb Herbert Baumeister. Baumeister sorry, Herbert. full name. Yes. <laughs> After three months of background checks, Detective Wilson goes to Herb's Save a Lot thrift store to ask him about the disappearances. She said he was a very strange man, tall and angular, and his hair possibly had color in it. I'm like, she's trying so hard to be kind. <laughs> So hard to be kind. I'm wondering if you noted the, the next other one, thing that she said. Physically, he looked effeminate. <laughs> Actually, what she said was, if you backed it up, because I did, what? and listened closely, she said, physically, he looked effeminine. Oh. <laughs> she didn't even, she combined two things. Yeah, and I was like, oh, That's honey, not even honey, a word. Honey, 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 honey. This is going on TV. The word you're looking for is effeminate. The word that I said. <laughs> Read a fucking book. That's hilarious. Or like. If you're going to like use a term like that, yeah, at least use it fucking right. Right. In any case, he, I've said that a lot. I need to stop saying that. No. Branded. <laughs> Branded. It's mine yeah. now. He denied being at, Herb denied being at gay bars until she tells him, well, that your car, his car was there. Like, we know your yeah. car was there. 
Somebody called it in, so there's no denying that. He said no one in his family, though, knew that he went to gay bars and he refused to allow them to search his property. So they went to the wife, Julie, and they do say that they kind of like debated this. Like, Mm -hmm. do you really want to? This is a big move. Do we really want to do it? It's bold. Kind of telling the wife like, hey, there might be something going on with your husband. Something serious. So the police say that they they tell her that they are investigating. (laughs) Sorry, I don't mean to laugh. They're investigating Herb for a homosexual homicide. (laughs) And she's like, first she says, which this was a moment where I did feel a little bit sad, right? For her a little bit for a second. And she says, I cannot begin to tell you the degree of life that left my body at that moment. And then she says a couple other things. (laughs) And then she like basically tells us like, she's like, and then the, the word homosexual homicide. Like, I know what the word homosexual means. And I know what the word homicide means. But what do they mean together? And I'm just like, wow. Uh, see, you were much nicer than me. I literally am screaming at my <laughs> open laptop going, what the fuck do you think it right, means? I mean, yeah. It's kind of like heterosexual homicide, just with more lube and better shoes. What the <laughs> fuck? I mean, come on. And a little bit of body glitter, okay? <laughs> fierce eyeliner oh jesus yeah she that was a moment where i was like any sympathy i had for this woman just fell completely out the window like just ran out the window it's tough it's yeah yeah so julie communicates with detective wilson often to say that she doesn't think that any of this could be herb the police also don't have enough to get a search warrant at this point so they were unable to get on the property a detective decides to do a search from the air, which is pretty cool to see. It's pretty smart, pretty cool to see, pretty good imaging here. They're using an infrared camera that would detect the heat of decaying bodies, and the investigators start their search of the woods. However, it was inconclusive. So I have to say that I did a little bit of research into like this what that was. specific thing yeah. because I thought it was absurd. I think that I'm a little bit of a, a slay queen and like a a true crime junkie. Yeah, and like, you're I like, a, sure, how would knowledge. this work? But yeah, I'm like, how would this work? Because yeah. I'm thinking to myself, all right, dead bodies essentially adapt to the ambient temperature around them. Okay, and I'm like, at what point are you going to detect heat from a, a dead, dead body? body? I wondered that too. I'm like, how are you going to detect heat on something that's cold? Exactly, something that's in the ground in the Midwest. Yeah. Like, it's going to be cold. This didn't make any sense to me. I thought it was absurd. Well, I was kind of wrong. Okay. Now, I'm not going to say that this is something that could happen 100% of the time, but it is possible. Okay. So, according to an article that I read on theguardian.com, quote, under the right conditions, so, key point there, under the right conditions, so not 100% of the time, an actively decaying body will have large numbers of maggots feeding on it. This maggot mass generates a lot of heat, raising the inside temperature by more than 10 degrees Celsius or 50 degrees Fahrenheit for us American folks. Can you imagine raising the body temperature 50 degrees? Well, now that you're saying that, I feel like this is a lesson I have learned on like CSI or something like that. But I never would have remembered it because it's like one of those Gil Grissom like insect things exactly. that he goes on. And I'm like, I'm not listening to any of this. I do not care. But that's wild. Isn't that's that super wild. That is. Yeah, I was mind blown by it. Honestly, that's a lot. It's a lot. 
Wow. And again, of course, this was under, under the, right the right conditions circumstances and under the right conditions, but it is possible. So Only at 6 p.m. the first Tuesday of every month <laughs> <laughs> when the sun is setting on yeah. the west side instead. <laughs> I don't know. So, yeah, that's pretty cool, though. That's super interesting. So I guess, yeah, this test could have worked. But what I think was cool about it was just the video footage of seeing the whole like farm from that angle. Like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm scared of heights. I would, but you, you're in a damn helicopter yeah, all the time. I, you don't care. <laughs> it's not cool for you. Uh, yeah. Well, I will let you in on the slightest, like tiniest little secret about my career in a helicopter. You don't get to see so, much. No, I do. Well, I do get busy and don't get to see much, but people think that I'm completely fine with heights because of the fact that I work in a helicopter. I traditionally am not okay with heights. Sure. I am distracted enough most of the time with the work that I'm doing in the helicopter that I don't think about it. And I've grown very accustomed to the height that we normally fly at, the altitudes that we normally fly at, which is around... It's like a second home. Yeah. Well, which is around 1,000 to 2,000 feet. I've grown very accustomed to that. But there are occasions in which we have to fly at like three to 4,000 feet. Sure. I lose my shit. You hate it. Because it's literally like twice the height we would normally be flying. And I get so uncomfortable. I'm sure it's a tiny thing, too. Like to be that high up. Ooh, girl. And I'm very much reminded of this right now because it literally happened (laughs) yesterday. Did it really? And I glanced out and I was like, whoa. No, no, no. Why are we so high? (laughs) What's happening? What's happening? So, yeah, little tidbit of information about that. Why'd you have to be up that high yesterday? Can you say? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It wasn't, there wasn't a patient on board. We were doing a training flight with a new employee. Okay. And they were doing like what's called an instrument approach where basically they set the GPS to guide us rather than the pilot actively okay. like controlling the aircraft. And on that particular GPS approach, you had to go up to like 3,800 feet. Just to show it. Just to be above any like potential obstacle that would be in the air. I see. Taller than any obstacle. I see. Yeah. Oh, I learned things today. I like this. (laughs) We should hang out more often. No, I'm just (laughs) kidding. (laughs) So now, yes, it was inconclusive. So at this point in the story, Herb had left the house and they had been spending time apart is basically what they're saying. The business was floundering. Julie filed for divorce in January of 1996, so right at the beginning of 1996, and denial ain't just a river in Egypt, if I do say so myself. No, ma'am. There's a little tea here. Julie's divorce attorney tells Detective Wilson, our friend Detective Wilson, not to give up on this lead. He says apparently Julie shared, so apparently, yes, Julie shared some info with him that she did not share with the police. And that information is that her son found a skull in her backyard. So as of June 1996, Julie is pissed. Herb unexpectedly shut down one of their stores and took their son on a trip. Like he just took him and said, we're leaving. We're not going to talk to anybody. He also apparently dipped into a bank account that they had and took all of the money that they had like shared at that point. Julie becomes frantic and her attorney calls Detective Wilson to talk and says that the son had found this. This is basically when he says, I'm at liberty now at this point Mm -hmm. to tell you this information. So this is the information that I had. The son found a skull some time ago. And we're going, Julie's going to want to have a talk with you and you're going to want to take that conversation. You're going to want to sit down with her. This is going to help your case. Yes, you're going to need this. 
So Julie admits that she had seen a skeleton at one point in time and she shows them where she had seen this. And this is like a whole, I mean, I don't even know what to say, like barrel of monkeys. Like this is just when everything just starts. You opened up Pandora's box. Yeah. This is when the authorities kind of come and they get more than they bargained for. And they they kind of give us a rundown of like what's out there, basically. I mean, they're finding all types of bones. The attorney is shook. He's like, I wish I never would have gone there. I don't know why I was there. It was just so many human remains, lots of them. So an extensive search begins and it was just all over the television. People were finding out all over the place that this big businessman has what they said was about 5,000 bone fragments, small bone fragments, seven thumb bones, which someone lets us know, a forensics guy, you know, lets us know they, they conclusively had seven left bone thumbs, which means at least seven, seven people. Four had been identified positively at this point, though, based on dental records. And those four were Roger Goodlett, Stephen Hale, Manuel Resendez, that's what it was, Resendez, and Richard Hamilton. At this point, the Hamilton County uh, Police Department, they take over the case, that whole jurisdiction thing, all of that. Sergeant Kenneth Wisman says they do not immediately interview her, but because they don't really have, well, they want to see all the evidence. They are just entering this. They're like, well, we got to get situated here. We want to have all of our ducks in a row, so to speak. Want to build our case. Yeah. And no one knows where Herb is even at this point anyway. So it's like, well, obviously he's, we'll find him when we, we'll catch up with him. You know, we'll figure it out. But this kind of ends pretty abruptly. (laughs) Early July 4th, Julie wakes to see her attorney pulling up to her house. He has news that he received a phone call that Herb had been found dead in Canada. He had taken his own life. He shot himself. The note left behind, though, talks of a failing business, a failing marriage, failing with his children, and nothing about the investigation, which they claim is the ultimate arrogance. And I mean, come on. He's choosing what he's leaving these people with. He was complete garbage and a complete monster up until the very end. He assumed no responsibility for what he had done. He provided no closure for his family, for the victim's families. And he He took the easy way out on top of it. He gave no answers. He literally said, I am taking this to my grave. Yeah, he did. I'm not even going to entertain the idea of it. Yeah. So his last words, though, in the note were. (laughs) (laughs) So weird. Yeah. Like, I can say weird. I'm saying weird. It's fucking weird. They were, quote, I'm going to eat a peanut butter sandwich and go to sleep. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Which... Sounds to me like maybe he was planning to die by suicide via like an overdose. That's what I was thinking too, but But, that didn't work. That well, that is not how it ultimately happened. No, it's not. So the police now have to figure out all of like these disappearances without basically the murderer. Like they know that these disappearances probably ended in murder. It was probably him, and now they can never really fully know. So they're going to put this together all on their own. They focus their attention in the gay community of downtown Indianapolis. They meet a man who had had a sexual relationship with Herb, but wasn't a victim. And that was namely because when Herb would offer the strangulation situation, he was just not into it. So they just had a, for lack of a better term, a vanilla (laughs) sexual relationship. So he was never a victim. And at this time, though, it has to be said that the media does not even speak of Herb's double life. like. 
everything about him when this is coming out is about him being a businessman and him being a husband and him being a a pillar in the community, for lack of a better term, which is really fucking frustrating. And they even play on the fact that some of the victims were sex workers, a.k.a. Uh, victim blaming. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I have the exact same thing here. Steaming oh, yeah. pile of victim blaming is mm-hmm. exactly what this is. And again, we talk about it all the time. I think we've already talked about it once this episode. These men weren't the, quote, ideal victim in this yeah, situation. Not at all. They weren't your Lacey Petersons. They weren't your JonBenet Ramseys. They weren't your Elizabeth Smarts. The the people that society as a whole will automatically like grieve for. Yeah. Right. These were people that the general public tried to justify the horrible actions that happened to them. They're like, oh, well, they live a high risk lifestyle. So what do you expect? Well, I expect you and them and everyone to be treated with fucking human dignity and to not just be like murdered. Yeah. A high risk lifestyle. Then you would feel the same way for cops and firefighters getting killed. Exactly. It's a high risk lifestyle, ain't it? Guys that work on a helicopter. Yeah. All of that. Pilots. Exactly. (laughs) Flight attendants. Come on. We can keep going all day with this, honey. Exactly. Ugh. Yeah. I'm. But I do like that even in this documentary, which is not it's not that new. They do seem like they're upset about it, too. It's like, of course, this enraged the gay community. It should. And you're right. They did did. do that. They did do that. And I appreciated it. Yeah. Uh, They rule out Julie as an accomplice. So the one thing that is a little bit fishy about that, I mean, obviously, she had seen those bones. Fishy. The one thing that really gets me that makes me question if she didn't know more was the whole fact that two of the men went missing after that incident with the bones happened. It's like, okay. Well, this is where I have, it's just kind of a single note, Mm -hmm. but it kind of surmises how I feel about Julie Baumeister with regard to the whole thing. So what I have here is, I actually believe that she didn't know what was going on. I, in my heart of hearts, and I understand that's controversial, and I understand that other people may feel differently, but I believe that she didn't know what was going on. And... (laughs) The reason I believe that, and I don't mean to be disrespectful here, but Julie Baumeister doesn't strike me as the sort of person who may have been the brightest in her class. I'm with you. You know what I mean? And they talk about how Herb, like they mention it several times. They talk about how Herb had this above average intelligence. 100%. I think it was probably really easy for Herb to manipulate her. Manipulation station. And I think that's maybe part of the reason he chose her to build this Mm -hmm. facade of a life with, because he knew that he could easily manipulate her. And he knew that she was a sort of lady that if she found a skull in the backyard, he would be like, oh, don't be silly. That's nothing. And she would believe believe him. him. Yeah. I totally got that vibe from her. Am I, I can see that. Yeah. Am I saying that that's okay? Yeah. Absolutely not. Right. She should have known. But do I believe that she did? In my heart of hearts, I don't. Well, and it's easy to, like, turn a blind eye in a way, too. Just, yeah. You believe the person that you're with, because why wouldn't you? He's never yeah. done anything before to make you not trust him. So yeah. why would you not believe him now? But yeah, I can totally see her being... I definitely think that whole marriage was a manipulation of him just needing a beard. And she was definitely a a kind, simple 
person. We'll just say simple. I literally have have that like descriptive word also in my notes about her. She was just a simple person. I also think that he, yes, he- Rose-colored glasses. Yes, rose-colored glasses. Everything is fine. Everything is great. I've got Jesus. If God can lead you to it, he can lead you through it. (laughs) God. Anyway. Um, Under his eye. (laughs) Oh, it's coming back so soon. I'm so excited. So I only have a little bit more about this. And I really do. I I do agree with you. I want to say, but I had to throw the devil's advocate part, which I know is like annoying, but there is still that looming. Two men did go missing after all that happened. And there's a question mark of like, you had to know these men were missing. It was all over the news. Like you didn't start to think maybe something was going on, but again, you rose colored glasses. So they consider at this point, they consider how leaving buried bodies on your own property is so arrogant and so confident that perhaps Herb could have been responsible for another link of deaths. So this, it's just, I mean, I feel like it has to be right. Like, or it's just so serendipitous in a way it's, there was 12 gay men murdered and dumped on I-70 from the years 1992 to 1991-ish. Most had been strangled to death, and Mark, remember him? He says that Herb had confessed to him on one of these phone calls that they had all the time to 50 to 60 murders, which would make sense if those were included. And the Baumeister's house, they built that house in 1992, which is when, like, those murders stopped, and that was where Herb took on a stretch of, it was a stretch of Ohio where he would just drive all the time, especially with work and like picking things up and all of that. So there's just, if it walks like a duck, (laughs) if it talks like a duck, legit, it just fits too perfectly. But unfortunately we will never know. Well, and maybe we do. We, at the end of this episode, we did not know, but we have a little bit of an update with regard to that. I knew that I felt like there was more mm-hmm. that we knew, but I couldn't remember. And I just didn't take it upon myself to look at like the old notes because I was like, I want to uh, want to be surprised by whatever information he has Absolutely. or at least be renewed. <laughs> <laughs> be reminded. Yes, be reminded. <laughs> okay. Should we take a quick break and then we'll come back with uh, just a couple of updates again? This is mostly a closed more info, case. Yeah. Yeah. But there's a little bit more info that wasn't appropriately covered in my opinion and then definitely a couple of just tiny updates but we'll take a quick break and then come back cool okay 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 all right are we ready for this yes i don't have a ton but i do have some things that i think the folks will enjoy and you as well ashley i will enjoy it (laughs) okay so to elaborate on a few things that were kind of just touched on in the docuseries Uh, We did learn at the very end of the episode that as a young man, Herb had spent some time as a patient in a behavioral hospital. Remember the the host guy came out at the very end Mm -hmm. and said it. And he was like, Julie was previously unaware, blah, blah, blah. What we didn't learn was that acquaintances would report that as early as adolescence, Herb had already begun behaving strangely. They would recall that Herb was, as a child, playing with dead animals and also getting in trouble for urinating on teachers' desks in school. I remember the animals part because there's more about that later, but Mm. that part, yeah, I totally forgot about. So Probably on purpose. Again, probably on purpose. (laughs) Yeah, it's an image. But again, 
Hello, McDonald's triad. Yes, 100%. And like, we talk about this, or we have talked about this a good bit on the podcast, but if you're new to the show or you're not like a career slay queen, sure. I'm going to explain what the McDonald's triad is. It's a set of three factors that if two or more are present in a child's behaviors, it's said to be associated with violent behavior later in life. And the factors specifically are listed as bedwetting, fire starting, and cruelty to animals. But I think of all the cases we've kind of seen it, it's just some sort of like weird fascination with like dead animals or cruelty to animals and some weird like behavior with urinating. Yeah, like the death of animals and like something to do with that. Yeah, yeah. I have not found it to really be specific to bedwetting, just like weird urinary practices mm-hmm. and like either animal cruelty or being obsessed with like dead animals. Yeah, no, I agree. 100%. So, so hello, McDonald triad. Yeah. Right. We're meeting those things. <laughs> it's happening. Additionally, as a teenager, Herb was actually diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia, but would receive no treatment for this disorder. And that's just very on brand for, I mean, mm-hmm. this would have been what, like the 60s, 70s for him. Oh, absolutely. It's very on brand for like a Midwest family being like, no, we're not going to get him treatment. We're going to pray that away. You know, something of that nature. These strange incidences weren't just limited to Herb's childhood, teenage years, adolescence, etc. As an adult, he would also be fired from a well-paid job as an operations manager at the Bureau of Motor Vehicles when he was caught urinating on his boss's desk. I remember that. (laughs) Remember? Because that's why they had to start the Save-A-Lot business. Because he lost yeah. his job. He had nowhere else to turn. Yeah, he had some sort of like negative interaction with his boss mm-hmm. and in retaliation. That was what he did. Peed on the person's desk and got caught doing it. I mean, I know we've all wanted to do that, but like, <laughs> I mean, we just don't. I want to pee a lot, but I can't ever say <laughs> that I've been like, hey, I'm mad at you. I'm going to pee on your stuff. Now's the moment. Yeah. No, I mean. Like a cat or something. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So all of those things to say, this whole situation surrounding like Herb Baumeister wasn't without some warning signs, right? Yeah. I mean, come on. They kind of tried to portray him as just this like loving, Who would have ever thought? Who would have ever thought it? There was just no sign and no indication. And I understand that there are those people out there. Absolutely. Who literally never show any sign of this double life or who they really truly are underneath. But Hello, there, BTK. Exactly. But there were some warning signs in her Baumeister's life. Plenty. And at Plenty. different stages of life, too. Absolutely. And to address Julie's claim that until the very end, there were no issues in their marriage, right? That they were just happy and everything was great. It's family love. Uh-huh. So, <laughs> right. Over their 25 years together, the couple reportedly only had sex a total of six times, and Herb never allowed Julie to see him naked. I never. do. I remember that now, too. So, girl. Yeah, come I mean, on. that's more than one red flag. That's a bouquet of red that's flags. The whole, all of it is nothing but a giant <laughs> red flag. A what bouquet was it? of red flags. What was it you said? You're like, it's more it's a, than a it's sign. A billboard. It's a billboard that, <laughs> that like fell on your face. Fell on your face. That's one of my favorite things, I think. That's what I was thinking of, actually. I'm glad you, yeah. you said it. <laughs> okay. So also, 
Remember how Julie wasn't cooperative with investigators until Herb essentially kidnapped their son? Pretty like, much, like yeah. took him and just ran off with him? Mm-hmm. And so after she got her son back, Herb was then able to disappear into thin air, right? Because we found that out. And then we also found out that he ultimately turned up deceased in Canada. Yeah, they kind of skimmed over, like, the return of the son. And, like, the he, he did bring him back and then but took they, off again. They skimmed over it a little bit because there's some shady shit that happened, in my opinion. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit more about that, shall we? We shall. So (laughs) just to recap and to give a little bit more information, in their search of Fox Hollow Farm, Indianapolis police would uncover, like we said before, like five to 6,000 bone fragments, human bone, it was confirmed, all throughout the property in different locations. In light of these findings, the emergency order of custody or order of protection for the Baumeister's son was drafted, and then the Hamilton County sheriffs would serve this order to Herb at the family's lake house, because at some point they had determined that that's where he was initially hiding out with the son. He was at the family's lake house. That's correct. Yes, they did actually mention that. I forgot. So they go there, they serve him this order, and they say, hey, Herb, we have to take your son. We have to retrieve him. So that's how the son made it back home to his mother. Correct. Right? But... They did not and would not. They refused to take Herb into custody or even question whether or not he had any involvement. They did. In the five to six thousand human bone fragments that were found on his property. His property. They said they didn't have enough evidence Mm -hmm. to indicate that he had been involved in the committing of a crime. Are you fucking kidding? Let's just give his, it one of these. His white. <laughs> yeah, his, his white privilege card still hasn't been declined yet. <laughs> Not at this point. <laughs> and nope. I mean, what the fuck? I know. It's wild, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. Because the way that they, yeah, the way that they describe it in the documentary, they almost kind of excuse it in a way. Like it makes it okay. But the way that it's described yeah. there, you're like, come the fuck on. Yeah. They brush over it a little bit. They yeah. portray it in like the best possible light sure. to make themselves seem less culpable. That's right. For allowing this man to escape. Get away. Yeah, exactly. So a warrant for Herb's arrest would not be issued until such time as investigations revealed that the bone fragments collected belonged specifically to 11 male victims who had all died of strangulation, up to eight of which were identified as gay men that had gone missing from the Indianapolis area or from the I-70 area in Ohio, Mm -hmm. which was primarily in Preble County, Ohio, which is where I am from. Where you hail from. Where I hail from. And what's really interesting about that to me is that I would have been living in Preble County, Ohio, when these crimes are being committed. I mean, granted, I'd have been very young. Sure, sure. But I have no memory. That's of this such a good point. We did. All. I forgot. Yeah. I have no memory of this happening. Probably because of the way that it was presented, you know, well, or maybe just it wasn't that salacious to some people. Well, it. I think. I speculate. Mm -hmm. I speculate that it was because of who these men were. Absolutely. It wasn't as publicized. Exactly. These were, again, I'm going to keep saying it this episode, these were not the ideal victim. Yeah. So not even the media outlets cared to report much on it. Sure. Absolutely. Because like my mother wasn't even familiar with this and she's 
lived in Preble County, Ohio, almost her entire mm-hmm. life. Pretty fucked up. By this time, Herb, so by the time that the arrest warrant had been drafted, Herb had had time to escape to Ontario, Canada, where on July 3rd of 1996, in Pinery Provincial Park, he would die of suicide via a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head. So that's, for me, why that whole, like, peanut butter sandwich and go to sleep thing was really odd. And I didn't consider it until you said it. Maybe he tried. He could have. And it just didn't that work. It didn't work. So he's like, all right, last resort. Yeah, We're just going to. Because, I mean, he was there for a while. So who's mm-hmm. to say that he hadn't tried some less. Some other means. Some other means means that he found less aggressive or however you would describe that. Because something just, yeah, I can't see someone like eating a peanut butter sandwich and then shooting themselves in the head. <laughs> like, yeah. I just, that seems yeah. just like something from a Tarantino movie, really. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. And as we've already kind of touched on, Herb's three-page suicide note would cite several reasons for taking his life, failed business, failed marriage, depression, alcoholism, because they didn't talk about it in this mm-hmm. uh, particular doctor series. I forgot series, about that part too, yeah. He had received a DUI at one point. And yeah, throughout all of this. Throughout all of this. He was spiraling. They definitely didn't talk about how out of control he really got when this investigation was like people were really going missing and he was escalating. And they were like beginning to even just actively investigate these missing men. I mean, he had to know that his time was limited. Your chickens were com- will come home to roost eventually. Eventually. So yeah, he was spiraling. He was drinking. He got a DUI. His businesses were failing. Yeah. His marriage began to fail because his wife was like, hey, it's our 10 year anniversary. 20 year anniversary, 25th anniversary. Do you think maybe we can have sex sometime this millennium? <laughs> right? Like ever? Yeah, ever, ever. Can I ever see you naked? Not to try for children? Yeah, but he would not confess to any of the crimes. Not a thing. Never, about it. And never admitted to it, never took responsibility. Complete piece of human garbage. Yeah, which just makes him so much more arrogant and makes you hate him that much more. Posthumously, though, authorities in Indiana would publicly report that Herb Baumeister was not only responsible for the deaths of the 11 Indiana men. So these are the the remains that they found on his property, missing persons cases they were investigating, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But also they credited him with being responsible for the deaths of at least 10 other men whose bodies were dumped along rural Interstate 70 in the state of Ohio. So they have officially said he is responsible for at least 10 of these deaths. So he's known as the Save-A-Lot Killer and the I-70 Strangler. I-70 Strangler, yeah. He's gotten two names. Two names because he's twice as awful. At least. Twice as heinous. <laughs> at least. Two for him, none for you. Exactly. He is a garbage monster. I he, He's got a very punchable face, too. He has a very punchable face. Yeah. Speaking of his faces, so that video... That they played. I think this was toward the end of the docuseries. Mm-hmm. It was Herb on Christmas morning. He yes. Was like that cam video where they're like, what do you want for Christmas? And he's like, world peace. All I want for Christmas is world <laughs> peace. He's so Hannibal Lecter. He oozed serial killer yeah. energy. Like, I'm not often intimidated or afraid of, he's of people. Creepy. He was so fucking creepy. Yeah. You were absolutely right. Yeah. Hannibal Lecter. To the nth degree. Yes, 100%. It was really, really, really creepy. And it was a good, like, I don't know, way to leave that documentary, too, because it was just like, 
just such a good clip of him just being the creepy, creepy man he well, was. It, it almost eliminated any doubt that the watcher might have had. Of that, him being, yeah. Of him being, whether or not he was capable of being a serial killer. Yeah. Like at that point, you're like, oh. Oh, oh for hell. sure. <laughs> oh, he's for sure. Yeah. I just want world peace. But if I can't have that, I want those, uh, what did he say? The the red and green peanut M&Ms. That's all. I'm like, you're so, What? <laughs> I mean, in I mean, they're, fairness, they're pretty good. Those are really good. <laughs> so, yeah, that's the story, though. That's the story. Hopefully it's a little better this time than it was previously. I think we did a good job. This I time. think we did a good job this time as well. Yeah. It'll definitely it was definitely recorded better for sure. And it'll be edited better. All of that was thank so much you, better. your podcast editor. Thank you. And thank you to the kings, queens and folks for being on this journey with us. Being loyal. Being amazing. Being the best folks and listeners of all the queendoms. Of all the queendoms of all the world and all the places. And all the land. (laughs) (laughs) Ashley, if the kings, queens, and folks out in the queendom want to reach out and show us love and support, or they want to give us praises, or they want to give us constructive feedback, or they just want to... Talk about whether or not they put on... A sock and a shoe. A sock and a shoe. How can they do that? Uh, you can slide into the DMs. Uh, Slay Queens Pod everywhere. Twitter, Instagram. SlayQueensPod at gmail.com. You can listen to us on all the platforms. Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, uh, Stitcher, everywhere. Yeah, everywhere. Everywhere you anywhere listen you to want. podcasts. Google us. Find us. Yeah. Wherever you want to listen. Yeah. If you listen to us on a platform that allows you to leave a rate and review, we would Please love do. a five star. Please do. Please do. If you don't have time for a review, which we love, mm-hmm. we do love those. But just a quick rating. At least rating. just a quick little. That just takes a tap. Just a tap. Just a tap. Just tap, the last tap, one on the end. The glass. <laughs> That's for you, Broadway queens. Very sing-songy today. I'm here yes, for it. Yes. We're off Broadway. Yes. <laughs> okay. So I think that's it. That brings us to the end. That brings us to the end. That brings us to the point at which we say that we would hope that you would go out and... And slay queens. (laughs) (laughs) It's just not not each other. Not each other. No. Not any of the gays. And none of the gays. None of the gays. We love the gays. We only have so many of us. Come on. It's true. We're very pro-gay and we're an endangered species at this point. Yeah. (laughs) Not really. (laughs) (laughs) Bye, Bye, folks. I'm going away, but I won't come back on a lonesome railroad line. But I can't forget that sweet little girl who sleeps in the pines and the pines.